So I hope you're there by now. Uh, we are at the end of this chapter. And quite honestly, uh, the study has taken us a little while because uh, Psalm 139 ha- is a powerful message about God. It, it, um, it is not a message uh, on against abortion, although it preaches against abortion. It is not a message that was designed and written so that we would come away saying um, uh, abortion is wrong, although we can do that. It was written, and the purpose of it is to share with us the amazing God that we serve, his omnipotence, his omniscience, his omnipresence, Those three truths are so aptly laid out for us in this entire chapter. And we come to the end now, and uh, we just finished up last week talking about God's thoughts of us. Verse, We'll pick up, in, uh, if you don't mind, in verse 17, if you would. He said, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake... I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men, for they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee, and am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee. I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. Father, please open our eyes now to glean truth from your word. Father, uh, we need you to meet with us in power. We need your spirit to give us, grant us understanding. And, uh, and I pray that uh, we would be stirred as we come to the end of this chapter and we would respond to the truths we've already learned about you uh, in the way that we ought. And Father, help us to give you the very best that we have because of who you are. And I'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. A preacher asked this question, What if at one of our church Potluck dinners, or pot providence, if you so care to use that term. Uh, If at one of those dinners, all the cooks decided to serve us leftovers, how would we feel? Uh, Let's say they had prepared a delicious feast of various foods, but instead of serving those things to us, they brought leftovers from their refrigerators over the past week and heated them up in the microwave for our consumption. What if they took the finest food, and went into a separate room and dined while we were eating on their moldy, reheated leftovers. Imagine someone going to the store and purchasing a fresh bag of potatoes, but then cutting up the old ones that were moldy to serve to special guests that had come for a visit. Now, that doesn't sound reasonable, does it? You would think if they're going to put out for a meal, they're going to put out the very best. You would think... If you're going to put out for a guest that comes to your home, a special guest, you're going to put out the finest. You're going to put out the very best. He said, and he concluded with these words, in far too many ways the church treats God like that. How many set aside the best for themselves and only give God what's left over? 
Some might claim they give God the first of their income. But what about other areas? What about your service to the Lord? Do you serve him first? Um, what about your talents? Does he get the best of your ability? What about your intellect? Does he get the best of your thoughts? Or is he relegated in many ways to second best? The point of the preacher was challenging, isn't it? Uh, it's especially challenging when we look at Psalm 139 and we consider who God is. And specifically, who God is and how that relates to our individual life. Have you not noticed that? Psalm 139 isn't a passage that has been telling us God's omniscient and just telling us that fact. It's not a psalm that's been telling us God is omnipotent and just sharing that fact. There are a lot of psalms that do that, by the way. It is not a psalm that has just been relating these truths and kind of leaving them out there and saying these are facts about God, but every one of those has been related to the author. The one writing is saying God is everywhere present. And I can't escape from God. And he's not looking at that negatively and saying, oh, no, I can't get away from God. He's saying, I am thankful I can't get away from God. Anywhere I go, he is there. And he never leaves me. He never forsakes me. He didn't just say, God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. But he said, God formed me in the womb. And when I think about how many times God thinks about me, I marvel. And so as we look at the psalm, if we come away doing anything less than what the psalmist does at the end of this chapter, we come away misunderstanding the whole purpose and the reason why it was written. He didn't want us to just marvel in who God is. He wanted us to make a practical application to our own lives and say, okay, this is who God is. What a God I serve, and that God deserves not leftovers, but my very best. And we are going to see that as we conclude uh, this chapter. Now, uh, before we do, we really need to pick up where we left off, and that was right around verses 17 and 18, uh, where we talked about how God has us uh, on his mind all the time. I, I still, I, every time I think about the things that he wrote in Psalm 139, I, they are deep. These are amazing things to ponder the fact that God has thought about me more than the sand on the sea, in the sea, uh, in the ocean. Uh, it, it, man, that's an amazing thing, is it not? Considering the fact that there are billions of people in this world and he's thinking about every one of us individually. Right now, right this very moment. He thinks about us when we're asleep and we're not thinking about him. He thinks about us when we're awake and we're not thinking about him. He thinks about us all the time. And he marveled in that very fact. And he shares that truth in verses 17 and 18. And that's where we picked up in our verses. But now in verses 19 and 20, we were talking about how powerful his, um, uh, his um, uh, omniscience, omnipresence, omnipotence. There we go. I knew I'd get to it. Just got to start using the O's, all right? Must have, been, must have been a preacher who believed in alliteration when they came up with those three words, right? So uh, when we talk about God's omnipotence, when we talk about the fact that God is powerful, there's one more aspect he brings out in verses 19 and 20. 
and often it seems like these things are neglected uh, when you come to Psalm 139, because I, I've heard I've heard preaching on uh, preaching against abortion, which rightfully so. All right, I don't have a problem with that, but that's not the purpose. I've heard preaching on God's presence everywhere, but you rarely hear verses 19 and 20 mentioned. But they are also an important message for us to consider and to see God's power. God is powerful in judgment. And that is the last point in uh, under Roman numeral 4, letter C. He's powerful in judgment. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. Can I tell you something? We can be confident that God will judge unrighteousness. You know why? Because he's an omnipotent God. He's all-powerful. And, and although uh, the forces of evil and evil, uh, evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse in this world, there's coming a time when everyone will face the judgment of God. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And everyone will receive uh, their due because there is a righteous God in heaven who judges the wicked. And his omnipotence is seen in that very fact. In verses 19 and 20, we're reminded that his omnipotence is shown in his judgment of wicked men. Wicked men who aren't interested in our good. And by the way, this encouraged the psalmist. Um, as he looks at wicked men, he said, well, they speak against you, Lord, wickedly. They take your name in vain. And he said, they, they misuse and abuse you, Lord God, but I know because you're an omnipotent God that you will judge them. And he rested in that wonderful truth. And um, we don't know persecution, so I don't think we appreciate what the psalmist is talking about here as much as perhaps the apostles would have appreciated this truth, that God judges unrighteousness. That, that those who treat men wickedly will be judged by a holy God because he is an omnipotent God and no one will get away and escape from his judgment. And that is a truth that was encouraging because um, I'll tell you, what, what a man sows, he reaps. Uh, in positive aspects, what you sow, you reap, but also in negative ways, what you sow... You reap. And God promises that truth in this passage. He is powerful in judgment. Now, let's look at, and this is where I, we kind of started with our, our, um, our illustration. But look at an outcome or the outcome from these truths. In verses 21 through 24, um, he says, Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I put it this way for the sake of the outline, a perfect hatred, a perfect hatred. In verses 19, 20, uh, or uh, 20 and what, uh, or 21 and 22, he talks about this perfect hatred. He's angry. Look in verse 21. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? Um, why such anger toward wicked men? Uh, you know, um, I, we're not told the reason exactly why, except for the fact that he had just said in the verses previous, God, they take your name in vain. What they are doing is against a holy God. And, 
And may I remind you, there is a proper indignation. We always like to think our anger is always right, and it's not. There's a wrong kind of anger. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. But there is an, a righteous indignation. A hatred that we ought have for evil and for unrighteousness. Um, sometimes it's hard keeping a proper perspective of that, isn't there? Isn't it? Sometimes it's, not, it's hard to uh, treat people right in spite of the fact that you hate their sin. Sometimes we end up hating people when we should be seeking to help win them. We hate their sin, but we are concerned about and love the sinner. You know, that's how God acts toward them. He will judge them, but you know, until the day they die, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Those words are for them. Uh, may we keep a proper perspective. And I think the author had a proper perspective. He's looking in verses uh, 19 and 20, and he's saying, look, God, these people hate you. They're doing evil against you. They take your name in vain. And Lord God, I hate them. May we have that kind of perfect hatred. To hate sinners, or to hate the sin, but yet to be concerned about and love the sinner as our Lord does. How grieved he was that any man uh, could ignore the love of God, the handiwork of God, and if you would, spit in God's fa face, if it, as, it, if it, as it were, and go his own way or do his own thing. Now, some people really have a hard time with verses like this. And I've said it before, but it needs to be said. Some people say the New Testament is a, is a, is a book of love. The Old Testament is a book of judgment. That, that's a bunch of baloney, okay? Don't, that's not true. All right? The Old Testament and New Testament send the same message. Um, that, that God is righteous and holy and just, but that God also is love. And that God wants us to have a proper respect for and a proper understanding of and a hatred of evil and sin, but also he wants us to understand love. And the message of the Old Testament is not a message of, of judgment. It's just, just as much compassionate as the New Testament is. Old Testament writers told us that there would be a Messiah who would come. What was the reason he was coming? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That sure sounds loving to me. But there is a perfect hatred. And the psalmist gives us that perspective. I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee. And I'm grieved with those that rise up against thee. I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. If they are an enemy of God, they are my enemy as well. And that's the truth he brings out. And so may we have that kind of perfect hatred, if you will, um, as we think about the holy God we serve, the powerful God we serve, the omniscient, the omnipotent, mighty God of heaven and earth, and we see wicked men who... If, if you will, just mock that God, may we have a perfect hatred, as is described by the author. But then we can't leave off verses 23 and 24 either. Because not only do we need a perfect hatred, but we need 
a pure heart. And that's how he ends this psalm. I'm glad he ended it there. I'm glad he didn't end with the, I hate them with a perfect hatred. But you, you, can't, you can't come to Psalm 139 and walk away not being changed. You can't give God leftovers if you really understand Psalm 139. If you understand who God is and how that relates to your life, then there, there is no other, no other option but to come to God and say, okay, Lord, you are the all-knowing one. You are the omniscient one. You are the omnipotent one. God, search me. By the way, you remember, and, and it's, it's kind of interesting, verse 1 tells you what? What, what, is it, what does it tell you? Okay, God's already done that. Same wording. So God's already done that. What the psalmist is doing when he gets to verse 23 is saying, okay, Lord, you've already done that. I know you, you know me already, but God, um, help me to know who I am. Uh, the, the problem isn't, does God know me? The problem is, do I know myself? And I need the God of heaven, the omnipotent one, the omniscient one, the one who knows me intimately and has already searched me to come and help me to know if there's any wicked way in me, to help me to know the way everlasting, because those things are not within me. My nature is to go my own way, to do my own thing, to follow my own path, to live for me and give God leftovers. But the path of a Christian who understands who God is and how it relates to their life, the path of a Christian, that Christian, is God, show me. Show me who I am. Uh, know my heart. Know my thoughts. And if there's any wicked way in me, let me know it. And then, Lord God, show me the path that's right. And the Bible says, thou wilt show me the path of life. God wants to do that. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And some people tell you, well, God doesn't really have a plan for your life. There's men in Christianity who say that. And I marvel. The psalmist said, God, show me the path that I'm supposed to take. God says, so show me the path of life. He says, and he will direct thy paths. God has a plan for your life. God has a path for you to take. God has a right way for you to go. Now, if you're giving God leftovers, he's not gonna, you're not going to be going the path he wants you to go. But when we come to the end of Psalm 139 and we've considered who God is, if there is anything we can do other than what the psalmist did, is then, um, then we don't understand Psalm 139. God, I want to have a pure heart and therefore a, a proper walk and a pro proper life. So search me. Know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, see if there's any wicked way in me. And then, Lord God, just, obviously, I think it's make me know those things, 
so that you might lead me in the right way. And I might deal with those things. There is a grand God of heaven and earth, an omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God, intimately involved in your life every moment of every day, morning and night, seven days a week, every day of the year, since the time you were conceived in the womb, not after you were born, since the time you were conceived in the womb. He thinks about you every day, day in and day out, all the time. So that if you were to try to number how many times God thought about you, you would never come to the proper number or conclusion. It's innumerable times. And that God deserves your best. And may these verses be your prayer and mine. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Let's say those verses together. Can we do that? Join with me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. May that be your prayer tonight. Father, I thank you that you are a mighty God and we have seen that and and it's been evidenced throughout this chapter and that it is seen in our daily life in your dealing with us. And Father, I pray that there wouldn't be a Christian in this room who, who doesn't respond as the psalmist did. I pray that everyone in this room who knows the name of Jesus Christ, that we would leave saying, God, lead me in the way everlasting. You're a great God. You deserve my best. Father, may no Christian give you leftovers, but may we give you our very best life. In Jesus' name, amen.